As part of the Southwestern Vermont Chamber of Commerce Business Education Series, we feature Lunch and Learns, where for an hour we invite one of our subject matter experts in any given field that might help a small business speak to and teach many of our, our other small businesses on their various topics. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, this is Mark Grossarth from Heritage Family Credit Union. Heritage Family Credit Union is a proud sponsor of the 2020 Bennington Chamber of Commerce Lunch and Learn Series. I hope you find these uh, seminars insightful and educational. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Matt Harrington with the uh, with the Chamber of Commerce. We have a, we we have our lunch and learn here today at Cat Studios. Uh, we're here with. Uh, about 12 people in our audience and we want to do our Lunch and Learns a little different format this year and moving forward. Uh, many of you have seen it uh, possibly popping up on Facebook for Facebook Live or later on in Cat TV uh, or on their website. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do was really harness the energy of video, being able to bring to our members both live as well as if they're at their shop right now and can't make it out to be able to watch it on Facebook or to be able to watch it later. So really utilizing the power of Cat TV to help us film these and film these even better by this year, 2020, bringing them in the Cat TV studio. Uh, so I want to welcome all our members here and, and hopefully the Lunch and Learns are, are a learning experience for you. Uh, the, the hope is that you take an hour out of your day to help your business in some way and so a lot of the topics this year just like last year are going to help you with something to do with business and today you know it might be a little bit of an offshoot for business but I think everybody could learn a little bit about where where the solid waste um, um, uh, a platform where the solid waste uh, uh, industry is currently. I think it is a growing concern. Maybe you'll talk a little bit about some of the larger businesses nationally that have really uh, uh, turned an eye towards a greener way of sustaining their business in the world. So I'm hoping Paula talks a little bit about that uh, today. So we do have Paula Camperman here and uh, I'm not going to do too much of the intro. I know that Paula has at least 60 minutes of great <laughs> stuff for you. But again, we just want to so thank our membership. We want to thank our sponsorship from Heritage Family Credit Union. You'll see a little bit from Mark in the beginning of this episode. Um, and then uh, if this is of interest to you uh, for the future, make sure you go to our website, Bennington.com, to sign up for the rest of the Lunch and Learns. Like we said, we have limited capacity here in studio. Uh, so if you want to come live and watch it being filmed and learn a little bit about Cat TV and how they do what they do, uh, register early. And if not, if you can't make it out, we hope you are doing the best you can do at your business and hopefully you turn into our launch at once. So without further ado, uh, Paul, why don't you kick us off and, and we're interested to learn more. Great. Thank, thank you. you, Matt. And I thank all the members of the audience and those watching live and those taking time out later to spend a little time to learn about trash and recycling and solid waste management in the state of Vermont. So today I'm going to give you sort of a background about what waste management and waste diversion is in the state of Vermont and about recycling laws and changes to those recycling laws and help you get a better understanding of what recycling is both on a personal level, maybe in your home, but how it affects your business in ways that um, our alliance, which I'll give you some more information about, can help you. It also will give you an understanding of other uh, programs that are out there for you and the future of recycling and what we can do as a state and as citizens active in participating in our climate. So, um, first of all, uh, I'm a program manager, outreach program manager for the Bennington County Solid Waste Alliance, and that is what I do every day is go out and talk to people about trash <laughs> and talk about their ways of, of uh, understanding the recycling laws in Vermont, helping them manage their waste streams to optimize the recycling programs that are here in the state, as well as understand other programs that are available to them, either free or a very low cost to manage the waste to keep the things that are really dangerous out of our landfills. I don't know if you know, but there really is only one landfill in Vermont. It's clear up at the Canadian border in Coventry, and it has about five years left of capacity. So it's really important that we are smart about what actually lands in that landfill. We want to exhaust all of our resources first to try to keep things from going there that don't need to go there, that can be properly recycled or diverted to other uses or other um, ends of life so that we can 
maintain the integrity of that and not overfill it. Also, the transportation costs involved in hauling that up to Coventry and other places out in New York and Massachusetts and New Hampshire gets very costly. So the more we can manage that as we reduce our, our need for some items, perhaps through um, resource reduction and through um, diverting to reuse and repair and not putting it out to pasture, so to speak, quite so soon, we have a better ability to save on our um, wear and tear of our resource structure. So giving you a little background, the Bennington County Solid Waste Alliance was put together in 2015 as part of an interlocal contract with 13 towns within Bennington County. I'm just going to rattle off the towns because I can never remember them all. And they include Arlington, Bennington, Dorset, Glastonbury, Manchester, Powell, Rupert, Sandgate, Searsburg, Shaftesbury, Stamford, Sunderland, and Woodford. Those 13 towns joined us as an alliance as part of implementing Act 148, the Universal Recycling Law for the state of Vermont. Now, Vermont historically has been a leader in recycling and adopting uh, recycling laws, first with the bottle bill back in the 1980s, and now we're going to be the first state in the nation to ban food scraps. So it's going to be all eyes on us and how we manage this approach to food scrap diversion. And I'll get into more about that in a little bit. So back in 2012, when Act 148 was set up, it was in response to the fact that we had really stagnant recycling rates of only about 30 to 36% for the prior two decades. So they thought, let's get together and get some rules put together. We can all follow, phase it in in stages and give us the opportunity to um, adopt these in pieces. So it started out in 2012, 2015, the Bennington County Solid Waste Alliance was put together, and in doing so, it was our charge to reduce the dis um, disposal rate by 25% by 2020 from 2015 levels. So we're gonna look at, at the end of 2020 to see how well we've done. In addition, we want to increase the diversion rate by 50%. That means how much we're taking to the landfill and actually diverting it away from the landfill. So if we can do that as a community, that's our goals that we're shooting for. So as my responsibility as an outreach program manager, I meet with businesses, schools, organizations. I go out to fairs, festivals, anywhere I can get in front of people who are listen, willing to listen about trash, but also get information that's really important to their daily lives. We are mass consumers in this country. We've gotten really good at understanding what consumable um, intake is. And we just need to know more about how to manage that and also reduce our need for some of these consumables because we are in a quandary with what to do with it. As we all have heard on the news, we hear headlines about how our, our trash is being sent to China and now China doesn't want it, so we have to come up with other ways. So this is one of the, these are many ways in which we can do this and I'm gonna discuss with you in detail some of the things we do. As the Alliance, we provide outreach. I go out actually to businesses, um, at least 40 a year on site and I give them what I would call a solid waste audit. It's like a survey. I talk with the owner and have discussions about what they do to manage their solid waste. I'm not an enforcer or anything. I'm just, I'm taking information to help them understand then where they may have gaps in understanding what the solid waste management laws are, but also help them understand what programs are available to them for the amount of um, material they may need to dispose of that may not go in a regular stream of either recycling or disposal. Um, I can offer technical assistance or give them a source, be the source of the source for technical assistance to help them dispose of certain items that don't belong in the landfills. In additionally, we do outreach presentations such as this. I go in front of employee, employee groups, um, uh, organizations to give them primers on um, recycling. And as we are now going into the new phase of, of food scrap diversion, we'll include composting as well. These involve, as well as we host events throughout the year, including compost bin sales in springtime, such as April. We, uh, in years past, have gotten subsidies to help offset the cost of purchasing compost bins that we then um, sell at the cost that we're getting for to the public, including backyard compost bins and kitchen compost receptacles. Those have been really popular <laughs> and at the point where we are exhausting our supplies long before we can meet the demand. So we're looking for other avenues to get more compost bins into more people's hands. In addition, we host household uh, hazardous waste events twice a year in May in Bennington and in September in Dorset. And also, we this is hot 
flash news, we just got a grant to uh, allow us to build a household hazardous waste collection facility in Bennington. So we would be able to actually take in the materials that you normally get in line in your car on a Saturday morning for, and then we can give that opportunity to have you bring them to that facility in warmer weather months um, during regular transfer station hours so that it can be um, another opportunity to dispose of that. Um, so there is those <coughs> events. And then also um, we educate the public about just what is going on with the changes. This is uh, the Act 148 is sort of in the final phase of um, implementation. So this year what we're going to be looking at is two major components that are going to be affecting small businesses. The first is the single-use plastic bag, stir, straw, and expendable polystyrene ban. That is, affects a lot of people that are in the food service industry and retail food um, distribution and sales. And I will go through the bits of it. There are exceptions to these rules, but I will just outline the generalities of it and I can address some more specific questions after during the Q&A and if I can't get your answer, I will go find it for you. So um, all of these affect, go into effect starting this July 1st, 2020. So first, the expandable polystyrene, uh, that was normally known as just styrofoam. You see them in clamshell takeout containers, foam cups, egg cartons, um, meat trays, that sort of thing. Those are all going to be banned for distribution to the public after July 1st. And that includes the sale of those items after July 1st. There are exceptions to this rule, and that includes when you have inventory that you've purchased prior to May 15th, 2019 and you have the inventory still on hand, you can work through that inventory and sell it or use it as part of your food takeout service program through July 1st, 2021. So that will give you enough time to work through your inventory. So don't buy any more if you're looking to place an order because it won't fall under those guidelines. Um, the other exception is polystyrene trays that are used in the sale of poultry, meat, and fish that's over wrapped with uh, cellophane that you find in the the uh, meat sections of your grocery stores, those can still be used in the distribution of sale of the, those products. Other than that though, egg cartons, um, cups, that sort of thing. The other exception is items that come into the state of Vermont that are manufactured outside of the state. So your cup ramen <laughs> still can come in and still be sold as a, as a grocer or a convenience store, that sort of thing. Also, um, items that are um, manufactured outside the state or brought in or distributed from outside the state, even if they're not manufactured. So if it comes in the state and you're supposed to sell it, you still sell it but you're not gonna use it as a, a takeout item or a way to uh, hold a product that you now are going to sell on your own. So it has to be uh, left off. Similarly, single-use plastic bags are, will be banned. These are the ones that you get at the grocery store. They look like this. These will be banned after July 1st. So if you have inventory, you wanna get through all of that. There are exceptions to this rule. There are a lot of other little plastic bags floating around out there that we use in the course of our business, including small bags for hardware, greeting cards, medications, uh, prescription medications, um, dry cleaning bags, produce bags in that are that thin film that you use to fill your fruits and vegetables in the market, and bulk foods, coffee, pastas, that sort of thing. Um, and frozen food bags, the ones that users separate to hold the frozen food within a parcel that's going out the door. So all those items are still usable in the confines of um, the sale. The other thing included is all carry-out bags then must be recyclable materials with um, propylene bags stitched together if you're going to have any type of plastic bag. It has to be propylene stitched handled reusable type bags. You have the option to provide paper bags to your customers, charge a minimum of 10 cents a piece, and then um, recapture that cost by keeping the money yourself. There is no sales tax on that uh, 10 cent fee. It is considered a fee, so you just use it to offset your cost of those paper bags. Um, I have handouts that I've placed on everyone's um, seat as well is it's available at vtrecycles.com that goes into more detail about exceptions and the understanding of the interpretation of the law because it does kind of go far in a field of a lot of different um, angles. So um, in addition, plastic straws that you find at takeout centers where you're at the counter and you get your 
smoothie, the plastic straws after July 1st will no longer be available on a display, on a counter. You'll have to ask for them specifically in person. So a purveyor of drinks or restaurant takeout can have them under the counter, but they can't have them sitting out on a counter. Um, so they, they will also not be sold um, re, uh, retail-wise. The exception is if um, they are made available, they can be used um, as a matter of course in the, the hospitals, um, nursing homes, independent and assisted living facilities, residential care facilities can provide straws to their, their residents and their patients uh, without fail. Um, the last thing that is part of this plastics ban that is also on the list is stirrers for coffee. They're just going by way of the dodo bird. <laughs> no steer, no stirs. Just, just go back to wood or your finger spoons. You know, whatever. It's um, we just want to get rid of those altogether. So, um, food service establishments are defined as those that prepare, serve, and sell food for the public, including restaurants, temporary food vendors, caterers, mobile food units. That includes the food trucks. And also the law applies to farmers markets. So if there's a farmers market and you're there selling your baked goods, you can't provide plastic bags to your customers. Um, there may be a workaround in which there might be a pile of plastic bags in a case, a cage off to the side that somebody may need, but bring your own basically is what you should do. Um, in addition, um, a store is defined as a grocery store, a supermarket, convenience store, liquor store, dry cleaner, pharmacy, drugstore, and other retail establishment. These are all the establishments that are covered by this law. So it is a lot of change for those that are knee deep in it, um, but it is something that is can work around between the next uh, six months that we work our way into. Uh, those of you that are looking at um, a food establishment that you run and you have a lot of plastic uh, cutlery and things within the, the, the business that you're giving out to customers that they're consuming on site with uh, plastic uh, utility, um, straws and, and forks, knives, and spoons. There may be an opportunity to make that change right now to r reduce the amount of plastic altogether and maybe do a cost-benefit analysis about switching to uh, compostable material uh, cutlery that will go in the trash along with the food and the paper plate and the napkin that the person is finished using, thereby uh, reducing your amount of actual solid waste because that material can be composted and used into soil amendment later on, and um, it goes back into good energy for um, um, our earth. I will go into more detail about that later. So the other thing that's going to change, make a big change, is July 1st will be an organic food scrap ban. Large producers of food scraps up until this point have been phased in over the years since 2014. So the much larger institutions, the factories, manufacturer of foods, um, hospitals, large universities that already produce tonnage every week of food scraps have been diverting it to other facilities and not just throwing it in the trash. And what that means is um, essentially nearly half of all the waste we produce globally is either organic or biodegradable. And what happens is if it gets put into the landfill, it goes through what is called anaerobic um, uh, anaerobic uh, breakdown. So what happens is it's done without oxygen and instead of breaking down and turning into um, compost, it becomes, turns into methane, which is 30 times stronger, more powerful than CO2, which is what is creating the, the um, um, greenhouse gas emissions. So we have to look at ways to avoid putting stuff into landfills. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen some articles that show how carrots put in a landfill pulled out 10 years later are still carrots. They're still orange. They haven't broken down because they've been sitting next to a television set. So that, that is why we have to look at, you know, commingling all of the items that are actually compostable, giving them the right um, you know, materials together to mix for uh, their browns and greens, their carbons and their um, nitrogen, and also the temperature needed to create good compost. So at this point, um, what we look at when we're looking at our organics, all the food we consume, is how we can make the highest and best use of it. So what I look at is um, Vermont uses what is called the recovery hierarchy, and it follows the EPA's uh, recovery hierarchy for making the highest and best use of food. So the first thing you look at is the source reduction. How much can you not waste food at the source, whether it be your refrigerator or a manufacturer? So when you're in that sense, you're looking at, okay, can I prolong the shelf life of my produce? 
Can I look at date codes as a suggestion, not as a rule? Incidentally, as a side note, date codes are really just suggestions. There's no federally mandated set of guidelines for date coding food except for infant formula. Everything else is just kind of an industry, oh, suggest dates, use by, sell by, best by. They're just there to kind of make you look at it. It really is up to your nose, your mouth, and and um, your, your um, eyes to see whether things are growing on it that shouldn't be, or if you have um, a few days left of a good use on it. Now, obviously, if you've got extra food, you want to share it with others, other humans. Uh, since this um, policy went into place back in 2014, and since um, in the three years following, donations to food pantries have tripled in the state because people are getting really savvy about keeping food out of the landfills and sharing it with people in need. So if you know of a land, uh, excuse me, a food pantry nearby that you might be able to donate to, I encourage you to you know, contact them. Keep in mind that not all of them have refrigeration, so make sure that what you're bringing is not highly perishable, but is stable for them to hold for a period of time. Incidentally then, after food for people is food for animals. Okay, the stuff is uh, not edible anymore for us, or it's just not gonna go to the food pantry, but I know John's chickens down the street is going to love this. Think of them rather than throw it in the trash. Uh, I know of an elementary school here in Bennington County that takes all of its food scraps from its cafeteria and takes them next door to a pig farmer. So there are, you know, it's all working through the system to avoid that. Then second, if it's not for animals, that would be up a farm or the goats, the chickens, the pigs, wherever. You take it then to composting or anaerobic digestion which is basically taking it in for heat and electricity. So composting will turn it into a, a rich nutrient soil amendment that can be used many ways. And the other way is to create energy for us as humans. And then the rest is energy recovery, which is just burning it down, okay? So these are um, important ways to understand how food is then diverted. So as the law goes into effect on July 1st, what we're going to have to do is uh, understand that trash haulers play a vital role in this as, as much as we do in the sense of how we choose to get that scrap diversion done. On July 1st, trash haulers must offer food scrap collection services to non-residential customers, commercial, or uh, apartment buildings with four units or more. And then unless another hauler is willing to provide that service. So basically someone in that trade area has got to offer organic food scrap collection. Now they may not be offering curbside uh, pickup for residents. They're not obligated to do that. If you know of someone that will do that for you, that's great. Otherwise your option is to take it to a transfer station, which has organics collection, or divert it into a compost bin that you may have in your backyard, um, vermicomposting, which is composting with worms in a closet in your pantry, perhaps. That's uh, really getting into it, and I can, that's another <laughs> webinar. Um, or you can um, get involved in a community composting initiative, and there's buzz going around about trying to get a few of those started to take in the slack for those that don't have curbside service, can't get to the transfer station, uh, I'm also looking for anyone that may be a farmer that's participating already in farmers markets that may want to collect uh, food scraps on farmers market days as well. They can be collecting it and taking it back as nutrients for their farm, whether it's for their cattle or their own composting or whatever their feed, um, they have that option. So if you know of anybody that's interested, I encourage folks out there to give me a call. My contact information is at the end of this webinar and let's talk. Uh, but initially, we're going to look for different ways so that we can keep that out of the trash. Now, if you're composting at home or out in the backyard of your small office, um, you don't need to worry about bones and meat. They can go in the trash because your composting methods in the backyard won't bring the temperatures up enough to break those down and um, effectively provide compost for you. So that can still go in the trash. Similarly, we're not going to go chasing after people that leave, you know, a ketchup packet that goes in the tr trash. That's just, you know, it's, we've got to keep this in perspective here. But primarily, you know, you're throwing out, you've got a, a kitchen cafeteria or a, a sizable kitchen in your office, and there's a lot of meals going on and leftovers thrown into the trash. You need to find ways to dispose of that outside of putting it in the trash. So that's composting, having collection, which involves, for those that are not familiar to date about collection, uh, commercially, usually what is given is a tote or a very large bin for your food scraps and then a side tote of um, 
wood pulp dust that is then put on top that you layer on a few inches every time you make a deposit of food scraps. It keeps the flies and the odor down, but it also helps starts the compost, composting process. So then when the hauler comes and picks it up, they pick up your bin full of scraps and as needed, they will refill your bin of food or uh, wood pulp so that you always have that uh, mixture available to you. Um, so there's that. Um, businesses, of course, will want to donate food whenever possible and train their staff on how to properly dispose of the food so that it doesn't go in the trash. And part of that is getting people to understand um, the benefits of the composting. So it provides vital nutrients to soil by creating a soil amendment. And I actually brought some with me today because people tend to think composting is smelly and trashy. But I'd like people to get a smell of this because it is nothing like icky. It's, it smells like earth. And it has a bit of a damp feel, almost like a damp sponge, and that is what composting should feel like when it's finished. So that is actually made by Kat Buxton. She is a compost consultant in um, upper northern Vermont, and she is um, a great source. She has uh, given presentations to the Garden Club here in Bennington and other organizations. And she's kind of one of these firebrands that worked really hard to help people understand the benefits and how to make it work. If your business or organization or institution is interested in doing on-site composting, we have resources available in which we have a consultant available to help you get um, site work evaluation done, to help you set up what you need for the materials, um, whether it be a bin, um, a big structure, whatever it is you're going to do, and, and if it falls um, in line with various uh, uh, waste facility laws, make sure that that is um, followed as well. So you can pass that around. Um, so in addition, um, the soil amendment that comes from compost is used to avoid, uh, or rather add to lawns. Commercial nurseries use it a lot to fortify a 50-50 mix of soil and compost because it adds a lot of nutrients. It also helps avoid drought in hotter months so the grass doesn't brown up. And um, increasingly, highway departments are using it as part of um, shoulder work because what it does is it holds 20 times its weight in water and in doing so it keeps storm runoff from wa creating road <laughs> washout and hill erosion so it is very helpful in that ways and it's just it's just recycling the earth we're eating it we're taking it out we're putting it back in the earth it's kind of simple um, so as part of that recycling we go into just basic recycling which is something that we all are doing in the course of our world whether we're at home we're at work school uh, we consume things, we create waste, so how do we divert that waste? And really what I think a lot of people, uh, because we've gotten into the, the habit of thinking everything we have and we get rid of is trash, it really is um, a resource. We've, it's been created from something and it can be used again as something, either that same thing or into something else. So what I talk to people about is help them understand that um, recycling is, is kind of a full component of things. In the office space, you probably have seen some of these. If not, let's get them in. <laughs> and what they are is anytime you have a waste bin in Vermont in a common area, you also want to have a recycling bin. This is just a small office trash bin. But it, it helps people do that sorting that they intuitively want to do because they know the plastic and the, the, the pop cans and the other um, paper things need to be set aside from waste. Similarly, if you're in um, Vermont, you may have seen some of these symbols. These are our common waste symbols that come to describe where things are to be put on. These are labels that go on bins, but I've just enlarged them. You can use them for anything. People put them on trucks, you know, that sort of thing. So hopefully when people see this, it becomes a universal um, direction what to do with it. So all this goes into various areas uh, of the bins. Above those bins, if you're in a public space to help people understand, um, Vermont Recycles, vtrecycles.com, as well as all these other handouts I've been showing you, are um, available for reproduction. I just printed these off from PDFs. Uh, they have them in JPEG, high-res files, whatever you want to download. And these are the um, actual sources of signage that we put over the bins to help people understand what in the way of food scraps go in that bin. You remove the produce labels, you can stick your um, Vegetables, fruits, dairies, grains, breads, meats, oil, bones, that's assuming it's all commercially composted at a higher temperature than your backyard. Um, coffee filters and, and grounds. Similarly, if you have recycling bin, we're very common, this just outlines everything in recycling, which I can give you a quick primer because it is something that is a lot of confusion around. Um, 
This is all for mixed recycling and making sure it's clean and empty because that's important. And returnables, people are throwing the returnables in with the recycling, but the, it's a commodity. There's money involved in there. And it's something that, you know, is uh, something we want to separate and get properly redeemed at the locations where you do that. And then, uh, obviously, worst case scenario, if you can't get it in these other bins, it goes in the landfill. And in, when in doubt, you want to throw it out because we'd rather keep that recycling as pristine as possible. And when I say pristine, I'm talking about um, the type of recycling that involves uh, ones and twos plastics, actually ones through sevens are put in the recycling bin. And you wanna make sure that glass jars and bottles, cans and uh, foil, that is, it could be a foil pan, plate, or aluminum foil that's been used as long as it's clean, it doesn't have like a bunch of cheese stuck to it. Um, you can put it in a ball as long as it's two inches or bigger, you can put it in the recycling bin as a rolled up ball. Um, and you want your recycling items to be a minimum of two inches, two inches on two sides, and no larger than two feet. So if you've just come home after buying that great HDTV and you got that humongous box, don't just fold it in half and shove it in your recycling bin. It needs to be cut down because it, it really is gonna muck up the works. So to give you an image of what happens to your recycling when it is picked up from the bin, you see it thrown into the truck and our, there's this great conspiracy that everything is thrown in the same hole in the truck. Not, that's not the case. It's, it's separate, believe me because there is money in this and the, the waste haulers that are charging you to pick up their stuff are making money on the other end. So it's sort of a back scratch, think of it. If you give them clean recycling, they're gonna get more money for the recycling on the other end and they're not probably as apt to charge more for your waste hauling. Think about that because yeah, we all have profit centers, I understand that. But if they get the recycling currently, as it comes in, the biggest waste hauler tells us when he, they dump it on the tipping floor, which is the floor inside the materials recycling facility or the MRF, it has a, um, it has a contamination rate of 25%. So one quarter of it already belongs in the trash. And what they have to do is they have this little bobcat little uh, bulldozer that pushes it up a conveyor belt that goes up to a second story and there's like a dozen people on either side of a uh, conveyor belt that have about 20 seconds to pull out all the contaminants and try to sort what they can. So everything should be clean and dry and folded flat whenever possible. So things like batteries don't go in the recycling bin. Uh, they're very hazardous. They cause fires, explosions. Um, the Sunderland Transfer Station caught fire and burned down last year because of a laptop in, in a bin into a uh, landfill. Um, a few weeks ago, Northern New York had another uh, fire from a transfer station and it burned for three days from a lithium ion battery. So um, no food stuck inside food containers. Think of that elusive peanut butter jar or Nutella. It's always so gooey, but try to clean it up. <laughs> and then dry and then in the, in the bin. Um, no scrap metal or other items that you think are recyclable because they are, have a metal component to them. That is what we call wish cycling. So that would include frying pans and coat hangers and lawnmower blades and uh, hoses, Christmas tree lights, clothing, things like that. Um, we think, oh, it, it can be reused again, I'll put it in the bin. Well, it doesn't, doesn't work that way because there's just only so many markets that the hauler is actually going to use to uh, build their feedstock and get money for. Um, same thing with um, shredded paper. Anything that you get in the way of recycling has to come in loose. We don't want to bag the recycling because it has to be able to sort really quick. So it comes down to conveyor belt, they're pulling it out. Then from there, a gust of wind will come and blow real lightweight things out. Magnets will come and pull the metal out and everything else gets sorted after that. So if everything's in a bag, it can't get sorted. The only exception would be shredded paper in an office where you have like a big shredder and you've got the frame disposal bag out the back and it's taking all of that, that can go. They see that coming a mile down the conveyor belt, they pull it off, slice it with a knife, the shredding paper goes down below in a big bin and they throw the bag away and there's no other thing to worry about. But if everything else is bagged, it, gets, it ends up being landfill, which is too bad. So similarly, no electronics, again, hazardous waste, and no um, hazardous containers with chemicals inside, pool chemicals, oil, gasoline, um, that sort of thing. So this is just a partial list. And then um, Looking forward, there are many other programs, though, that we can use to divert some of these things that I just talked about in special recycling programs. And those include 
um, a free recycling program is through special recycling, and that is um, through what is called extended producer responsibility. And that is when industry works together, manufacturers and industry groups get together and get out ahead of legislation to help build recycling programs to divert items that otherwise could end up in a landfill and that are toxic or, or hazardous. So we have five programs in the state of Vermont. There are other states that have other programs, but for Vermont, we have one for electronics that is called Vermont eCycles. So there are retailers as well as transfer stations in the state of Vermont that will take back computers, televisions, um, computer peripherals, uh, monitors, peripherals like mice, keyboards, that sort of thing. We'll take them back free of charge from you. So places like Staples will take some of that back, your transfer stations, um, computer repair uh, facilities throughout Bennington County. Batteries, which is becoming an increasing problem. As you may know, we're becoming the internet of things throughout our world. So the use of lithium ion batteries is exploding. And as more batteries come into the strangest things, whether it be the drone that you get fed up because it doesn't work right anymore, or the sensor of your kid's diaper that they have nowadays, I won't go into that. Um, they have batteries that are highly, um, highly caustic. They're, they're flammable, they can ex cause fires, which is why we're having these transfer fires and you're hearing um, with greater frequency things like fires on FedEx trucks, things like that. Um, we have to keep the lap pads, uh, iPads out of the waste facilities because they have those lithium batteries inside. So we have the batteries, we have ways to get rid of them. Um, places like Home Depot will take back batteries when you take um, a moment to tape up the ends of the batteries. So your primary batteries, that will be your alkaline batteries, don't go in the trash either because they leach lead in landfills. So taping them with two inch plastic box tape that you see, you know, you wrap around to ship out a box with. You tape the ends of that as well as button batteries. You can lay them down on a piece of tape and send them into um, their collection boxes there and as well as at um, transfer stations. In addition, paint. We use a lot of paint in our world, exterior paint, interior paint, acrylics, latex, uh, oil-based, um, stains, shellac, lacquer, varnish, everything but boat paint, automotive paint, and aerosol cans can be taken back to places like Sherwin-Williams. Now, when you take the paint back, you just bring it in. It doesn't have to be their paint. Just bring it in the original container. Don't do them a favor by mixing it all together in one big five-gallon drum because that will not make it recyclable then. Um, and then they can sort through it and recycle it. And they recycle thousands of gallons, hundreds of thousands of gallons of paint. Now, if you're a big company and you have uh, a lot of paint, they can do a dedicated free-of-charge pickup of 200 gallons or more of paint where they can come to you. You can contact them at paintcare.org. The fourth program is mercury bulbs, fluorescent bulbs, tubes, CFLs, the um, HID circulars, mercury vapor, U-tubes, those are all mercury-containing devices that can't go in the landfill. But you can take them back to different retail locations as well as our household hazardous waste events and uh, the transfer stations. Uh, thermostats. The older thermostats, not the new ones that you see, but we still have a lot of older thermostats out there. They have the little mercury tube in there that's used to uh, monitor the temperature. That mercury has to stay out of the landfill. So you take these back to a lot of different um, uh, heating, ventilation, and cooling places. Uh, we'll give you a $5 rebate or um, credit toward the purchase of another thermostat. So that's another way to keep it out. Um, there is a brochure that is on your tables and is available at vtrecycles.com. That gives you all of the information I just talked about in detail as well as telephone numbers should you have any questions. So uh, one other area of recycling that is near and dear to my heart this year is plastic film. Okay, we get all this stuff. This is, doesn't go in the recycling bin, right? And we know that probably goes into that bin at the grocery store that you see. You take all your grocery store bags and put it back in that little bin. Well, you can put a lot more in there besides that. And that includes um, Ziploc storage bags. You just cut off the zipper, though. Bubble wrap. Case wrap paper towels uh, that goes around 24-count bottles, paper towels, toilet paper, diapers, um, air pillows. 
bread bags, personal care items, cereal box liners. Who would have thought, right? Produce. Uh, this is a ship bag that I got. It came in from L.L. Bean, but you remove the labels from it. doesn't matter about the color. And then, uh, in this case, this is a, um, a, a small animal bedding bag. So all of that is something that can go in those bags. In addition, um, padded mailers. And I hold this out because I want to show you that more packages that you'll see nowadays, and it's adding up 10,000 companies a year, are joining this program that's called howtorecycle.info and what it is is special labels that are on packaging that help you understand the components of the package mm -hmm. and how to properly dispose them so beyond just seeing triangles and you know, arrows in a triangle going around this actually tells you what is recyclable and how to dispose of it so in this case it says remove paper label and um, before recycling and then inside the triangle it says store drop-off so it doesn't go in your recycling bin, it goes at the grocery store. Now, there is actually local initiatives that are happening that people have kind of latched onto that is being sponsored by Trex Corporation that does all that outdoor decking that you see. Trex Corporation is eager for our plastic film, this stuff right here. So this also includes salt pellet bags and wood pellet bags. Now, if you think of an average household or a small business that goes through 200 plus bags in a heating season, that's a lot of plastic. And all that can be diverted to these Trex uh, recycling programs. There have been a couple of them that have sprung up. Um, the Lions Norshaft Club did a uh, collection and they were able to get 500 pounds, that's a lot of plastic, <laughs> roughly 40,000 bags, uh, give or take a few, if you've got the space. You can collect all that. Trex will come pick it up, and in exchange, will give you a park bench made out of Trex material. So, um, the Bennington Rescue Squad is doing it on their Cummings um, Street, Cummings Avenue um, location, and uh, the Shaftesbury Town Hall is collecting some as well for a bench. If you know of other organizations that like to do the same, let's work together and get all this plastic out of our life and get some pretty benches around the county because it would be wonderful i have information here but if you can just go online at trex.com recycling that's t-r-e-x.com recycling you'll get all the information you need they also have massive uh, programs for major manufacturers that do a lot of plastic output uh, they can do direct to manufacturer pickups as well dedicated ones so I've given you a lot of information. What's the future look like? Essentially what it is is looking more toward a closed loop system. We've started with this extended producer responsibility program included in these that I've mentioned here to you today, but other uh, states are getting more involved in getting proactive by putting the onus back on the manufacturer to get their items out of the waste stream. So instead of us as taxpayers and municipalities finding a way to solve this problem, we put the onus back on the manufacturers and give them the opportunity to get ahead of it and get it out of the waste stream so we're not having to do it. It is built into the price of the product naturally, but still it is then not on our backs to try to find a way to get rid of it. So there are more um, organizations or states doing ones with tires and mattresses and carpet. Um, we have asphalt shingling recycling going to be starting up in Bennington as well because we've been given a grant for that. Stay tuned for that information, um, which is very handy. That is a lot of weight, and if we can keep that out of the, the landfills and properly recycled, that gives new life to that material as well. It can be used as highway um, material to make highways. So, um, also, if you have more or want more information, I encourage you to visit our website at Bennington County Solid Waste, um, bcswavt.org, or our webpage, or excuse me, Facebook page at um, Solid Waste Alliance. I'm open to take questions and comments, and I'm happy to talk for the next few minutes. Yes? What do we do with K-Cups? K-Cups. <sighs> there isn't a program recognized right here in Vermont. Uh, there is a company called TerraCycle which is kind of, they do a lot of out-of-the-box thinking and they work with manufacturers to try to get specific streams of hard-to-recycle items back out. I would suggest checking with them. They did have something working that there was a, rece um, a receptacle collection over in Albany, but it disappeared because I checked a couple months ago, so I don't know of any. 
but they I know the, the company that makes the K cups themselves are trying to work to um, either make them fully recyclable or compostable within the next few years because they know it's just innumerous the number of going into the marketplace so for now you would consider those to be trash yes unfortunately okay yes um, we were under the impression that you didn't absolutely have to charge the 10 cents for the paper bag because it's just coming back to us anyways it's staying with us yeah they just said if you don't want to that's fine but they said you charge if you want to charge a minimum of 10 cents you are allowed to <clears throat> permitted to because your handout makes it sound like you have to charge oh mm -hmm. I don't so. think you have to it's, it's just to offset to get people to bring their own bags or use paper that is recyclable okay and um, can we ask if somebody wants a straw? You know, like if I sell them a milkshake, or do I have to ask, wait for them to ask me if That's they want a question. straw? That's a good question. Because it seems kind of foolish to hand somebody a milkshake, a thick milkshake, without <laughs> good a straw. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think um, that's that's where that gray interpretation of the law comes that I'm not entirely certain. Um, I would suggest rather than make a ruling on that, there's an 800 number on that handout about, and um, <clears throat> on the bottom of the uh, page, I think, uh, or 802, a waste management prevention division of the DEC will, um, has got the law. And I did this to try to cover as much as I knew. Mm -hmm. and this is through btrecycles.com. But I try to give as much general information as far as I know, it has to be not in sight, and a customer has to ask for it. Whether or not you can offer one, I honestly don't know. Okay. Sorry. A <laughs> um, couple other things. Yeah. Um, we, our landlord provides our trash removal. Mm -hmm. What is the landlord's responsibility for us? I mean, we're a candy shop. We have, we have some live garbage. We, but you know, we have some plastic. We have some paper. We have things that are like. Uh, paper bag but it's lined with plastic for mm -hmm. our sugars when it comes in yeah I mean, what is our landlord's responsibility for providing recycling for us if it's part of our rent already yeah he's supposed to is my understanding as as a owner of the building and the count is a commercial account he's supposed to provide you whatever necessary means by which to recycle comp, uh, set aside food organics come July 1st <clears throat> and that you have the ability to do that. So if not, you know, you need to let us know. Talk to the hauler if you know the hauler. Mm -hmm. They may already just say, oh, it's all, he's already paying for it anyway. We'll just bring you a bin because sometimes it's all commingled into mm -hmm. one cost. And it's just a matter of whether that person has initiated the request for the particular bin that is needed. So uh, as far as the, the live garbage for, uh, we have, um, you know, we have, bits and pieces, sugars and things like that. We'd, we would love to find a pig farmer that would, I, I've put out calls, I've not been able to find mm. a pig farmer that, uh, several people have said they're no longer raising pigs or whatever, They but you can freeze it, but you can imagine after a while, mm. you yeah. don't have freezer space for that. Um, so we're having a hard time, I mean, is the state planning on providing anything like that? We're, they'll they get are, together with the farmers and, yeah. and provide lists people they are starting to look into that because I know they've been asking us for names of farmers that want more scraps but I we can talk after this taping and I can get your name and I have some farmer names in the back of my head and I can check to see if they're still wanting more material okay okay yes for folks who aren't here today um are, are businesses and and stores being contacted by the state to advise them of the law that's coming up on July 1st. I mean, what, what do you do as a consumer if after July 1st you go somewhere and you go into a store and you clearly see all these styrofoam clamshells that may or not still be valid because they've been purchased prior, mm -hmm. but is every restaurant, every business being contacted by the state to let them know that? That I don't know. It's been made um, clear that they're putting out uh, public awareness campaigns because okay. uh, we saw some drafts of it at a meeting I was at last week okay. so they are trying to get the word out about a lot of different things that are happening mostly about the organic ban because it's more mm -hmm. end-user um, broad mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. of a ban but um, 
That is a good question. Uh, I just know I'm doing my best to get the information mm -hmm. out because more people look at me like deer in the headlights when I tell yeah. them, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and just the, the try to get it around their heads about how to deal with the changes and make those changes without making it seem like a, a Herculean task. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, breaking it down in, in a more simple, simple solution way. So, yes. Things like water bottles or milk jugs, because um, I have heard you loud and clear about the two-inch minimum uh, so should we should be leaving caps on those bottles. Yeah. I was always under the impression that they should be separated because they're different types of materials. But yeah, most water bottles now are made almost of the same material as okay. the as the bottle. So mm -hmm. if they stay on, that's fine. Okay. Um, milk jugs usually just the sheer pressure that they go up against, they get crushed. The the tops are popping off. So, okay. but yeah. So, from what I understand about the recycling process, I mean, who's processing? most of these materials does it a lot of it go out of this country no no it stays in this country and actually how in the world i always wonder how in the world would does so much of this get into the ocean you know you see those pictures of the poor turtles and whatever with plastic bags i'm thinking who's throwing that all in the ocean mm. <laughs> how's well, it get there we've been really good at uh, providing um packaging and materials in the way of products to other countries and they've developed that without building an infrastructure to manage the waste. So they don't have, you know, not every country has a, a, a significant hauling system where they come and they pick it up and they've got a landfill or they're recycling it, that sort of thing. So you've got people that are just sort of discarding it because they have no place to put it. So some of that ends up in the ocean. Um, I, I haven't followed it, you know, bag all the way across to see what happens. But I am encouraged because there are a lot of companies that are springing up to the need of using raw materials after it's gone through the recycling process to be recreated into something else. Um, I know even Hong Kong has company Nine Dragons that are building paper processing plants in this country because they know it's a lot better to be able to process the material here and use it here than take all of this other stuff that goes to the country and then figure out what to do with it. Mm -hmm. They have usable feedstock right here that they can use mm -hmm. for their materials. So um, the same thing with haulers. They have, they don't recycle what they can't sell. So they know they've got markets for ones and two plastics and aluminum, which aluminum is great. It's 95% recyclable. It goes right back into aluminum. Um, it doesn't have a, a, a end life that's short, like plastic can only be recycled so many times. Um, same thing with um, cardboard. I think you got seven times on cardboard before it really can't be turned into cardboard anymore. It has to be something else. So at that point, um, these markets are viable. They're also very volatile. Right now they're very soft, so recycling is expensive. And you may feel it in your bill because um, it goes on what they think is going to be a market on the other end. So they, they definitely want ones, twos, and fives plastics. They want paper. They want aluminum. Um, and glass, well, that's kind of a ballywick because there's a lot of glass, and we can probably put it into some of the roadways, which would help. But it, it is heavy. It's hard to move. So that's why we've gotten so many bottlers over the last 30 years moved to plastic because of that. Um, mm. um, but yeah, we're, there is always hope. And the more we concentrate on using less, fewer uh, containers in the first place, the better off we will be, I think, in the end and have less of a, a problem. Yes? Yeah, I represent one of the local pantries mm -hmm. that you were speaking of. And we appreciate all the donations. And we would never turn away anything. But there is a situation where we get food that's extremely expired donated mm. so is there a program for that uh the pig farmer down the road <laughs> <laughs> canned goods i'm sorry what canned goods canned oh, goods, canned and, goods yeah and um, like you know pastas and things like that yeah that are just well so far um, there are packagers out. out there that take that material and uh i don't know of one but i can do some research okay. and see because you know there is a whole depackaging industry that is used for um doing that, that takes old canned goods and machinery that takes the contents out of that, recycles the outside and turns the, the um, food into um, anaerobic digestion. Is that on the website? 
Um, I would check vtrecycles.com. It might be. Okay. Um, Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, they will have an answer of a depackager in the state, yes. Okay. They will know. If you call them, they will get you hooked up with somebody okay. if there's a significant amount. It may mean that you have to bring it to them because they don't really do pickup service. But, you know, it may be, hey, we're a okay. network of people. We can yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. work it out, right? Okay. Um, I, d I did have one other question yes. because looking looking at it from a constructive or a construction point of view, and you were talking about Trex and Trex is a great product, but all you, all of the products that we are that are we we are promoting out there these days vinyl siding, vinyl windows, Trex, and all these products, is somebody foreseeing or looking forward or out looking what's going to happen to that product when it's no longer. Go. Yeah, because people replace that, and then well, that, where does that go? Yeah, that that goes back to that whole extended producer responsibility closed loop question that we talked to manufacturers okay. before. You think of manufacturing it. What's mm -hmm. going to be the end use of that, and how are you going to get it back to you so it's not in the landfill? I mean, okay, I, that's that's what I, I I tend to put it back on on the company that's dreaming mm -hmm. up this great thing. Is it, it then becomes our problem? How do we what do we do with all this final side that we have got piled up everywhere? So. Um, there is companies like Armstrong Ceiling Tiles, they yep. have a recycling program. They want, if you've got a contracting company, they want your tile. Um, they will come and pick it up if you've yep. got, you know, several um, pallets of it at least. And they love it because they will use it again for more tiles. I was thinking more in the lines of uh, vinyl siding because that's one of the short-lived products. There's yeah. a lot of vinyl siding out there and is that still just at this point still going to go in the landfill? Um, at this point, yeah, we don't have a, okay. I don't have solve. a recycling system built for Another that. Problem just we got to solve. No, that's a great conundrum. Yeah. All this stuff we're making, we don't have a place to get it back in, out of the landfill. So, gotcha. um, yeah, and it's it's interesting because we've got so many different items. Uh, I've got there's a, a gentleman that runs a solid waste works in a solid waste district up in the Northeast Kingdom that collects maple sugar tubing from maple sugaring farms all over the state and miles of the stuff. And you know, he takes it, it gets picked up and taken in a huge semi down to the southern states and they love it, they use it for, they recycle it. And um, it's, so it's, it's building these little networks of, of uh, options to get things to different places. I have a plastic film recycler, but it's not enough to get to get their interest to come and pick it up, and I have no way to get it down. So this Trex thing is kind of a panacea until we can get a more organized system set up. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all ears, guys. <laughs> what about things like, like I was saying before, like a bag that's got a plastic liner or something like that, but it, I mean, it's attached, it's part of the bag. Yeah. And then things like us, I mean, we use a lot of white cream for making caramel, and I've got a containers that are partially that you know a milk container and partially plastic am I gonna have to I mean I, it's hard to figure out how to recycle something that's mm -hmm. half one thing half another thing that is another problem with the recycling if we've got a lot of commingled um, materials um, a classic example in Vermont is aseptic cartons you know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. those uh, shelf stable uh, liquids that come in like oat milks, um, almond milks and broths, mm -hmm. they don't recycle because there isn't a market for it. In New York State there is a collection market for it, but it is made of paper, aluminum, or um, yeah, aluminum, plastic, it's, it's all these um, multi-compositional <coughs> product packaging that you're talking about that creates a problem where it ends up being landfill because it can't get separated. You know, you can't physically separate it, or it's just it's so integral to its design that it's um, not not a market for it. So that's part of what we need to look at when we go into product packaging as we move forward in a in a country. So yes. Um, so for residents with the composting law, um, I understand that it's not being mandated because they're not commercial and they're not four units or more. But for you know, as a realtor, I sell single family homes. So how am I supposed to explain this law to people? And are you working with trash haulers to get them to provide those bins for those who are not mandated to have them? Well, in the last legislative session, when they went through to finalize, they made it, they tweaked the law slightly so that haulers are not required to provide any kind of curbside service to single family residences. 
So unfortunately, it puts the onus on the resident to do their due diligence to find out what they need that serves them best, whether it be grab a five-gallon bucket, keep it in the garage, and take it to the transfer station once a week, compost in their backyard, compost in their pantry, or if we're successful in setting up some other community-wide composting facility, uh, take it there that may be a shorter run than to the transfer station. But that really is the, the choice. Now, Agency of Natural Resources is not going to go through and inspect the trash. <laughs> That's not what they're intending to do at all. That's just really to try to get people more mindful, and they're, they're, they're requesting as many people as possible to comply. Obviously, somebody who is 95 years old mm -hmm. is not going to take on composting in their you know, in their, in their pantry. It's just, it's a lot of work. So, um, if you have other questions, I encourage you to contact me. My uh, contact information will be at the end of this uh, broadcast. I thank you all very much for your time and interest in this uh, subject, and I look forward to meeting you out in the field as I make visits to businesses and schools, and if you have a need to have me come out to your organization or business, feel free to give me a call. Thank you again. Thank you, Paul. That's a terrific lunch and learn to start the season off with uh, just so much uh, packed full of information, both personal and for businesses. Uh, I'd be remiss, uh, one, I want to thank you all for joining us in studio and those for tuning in. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our annual meeting. Uh, all of you, I think, are members of the Chamber of Commerce. That's why you're here. Um, but please join us Friday night at Bennington College at 5.30. Erica's here. If, if you'd like to register, you can go to bennington.com. Uh, we we're on track to have a record-breaking crowd this year, which just means that this chamber is growing. And I think, it's, uh, I think it's programs like this that get to introduce Paula to our membership and you to Paula uh, to help you run your businesses better. And that's what we're here for. So thank you again, and, and come back uh, next month. Great. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.